turning to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to spend our time today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As we prepare to celebrate our 15th anniversary as a church next week, I just want to share with you how grateful I am for the joy of being able to stand each week and do my best to teach and preach the Word of God. Uh, I've never gotten over the responsibility of it all. Uh, Each week I feel the nerves, each week I feel the heart pounding, and uh, each week the anticipation builds and builds and builds until this moment where I'm able to come and, and begin to share what it is that the Lord has put on my heart. I would love to share with you all that every message in the last 15 years has been a home run, but you would know that is not true. I don't know that any pastor can say that every time he speaks, it's, it's a home run in terms of it all coming together the way he dreamed it would as he prepared throughout the week. It is very important to me, though, that, that our church family understands something, and I'll take some liberty today as I'm doing my best to get our church ready for this milestone of an anniversary. It really is important to me that you all understand that I do my best when I come to this place to honor Jesus and to help you. Uh, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not a perfect man in any sense of the word, but it's important to me that you understand that uh, there has not been a service in my time at Coastline where I haven't prayed and studied and, and sought to be diligent in, in writing things that I think would be an encouragement to you. I, I do want you to understand that I take this time very, very seriously. You see, along with the calling from God to be a teacher and preacher of His Word comes a responsibility to share truths that are spiritually nutritious, if I can say it that way. And it's my calling as a pastor to share truths from the Word of God with our church family that would encourage, that would edify, that would help us to know Christ more and to live for Him with all of our hearts. So I don't I don't give spiritual leftovers. I don't warm up something from previous Sundays or something I picked up from one place or another. I I just want you to know, whether the meals are delicious or not, I want you to know I spend time in the kitchen every week with you in mind. Having said that, there have been times over the years where I have revisited a passage more than once. Now, there are a variety of reasons why that can be the case. Um... One reason is I've been here a really long time now. And uh, as big as the Bible is, there are times maybe you'll study a book of the Bible and then you'll do a different study on a character in a Bible and in the Bible and maybe his name's mentioned in, in that passage of Scripture as well. And so that would be a reason where you'd get to a passage on more than one occasion. Uh, I think all of you would understand if, if you came on Resurrection Sunday or on Christmas Sunday, there are just some passages of Scripture that you would expect to hear and I would expect to speak from. And, and there are some passages so great, frankly, I think at least once a year is a pretty good time to, to visit those truths. And so there are times, there are occasions where I will go back to a familiar passage of Scripture with the intent of teaching our church. But this morning when I began, I said, would you please take your Bibles and join me in turning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to know this isn't the first Sunday that I've started a Sunday morning preaching time that way. When our church came to our fifth anniversary, I I started that day by saying, would you take your Bibles please and join me in turning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, when our church made it to uh, our 10th anniversary, as we prepared for that event, I, I started that Sunday, the preaching time, by saying, would you take your Bibles, please, and join me in turning to 1 Corinthians ch- chapter 2. And, and, and there was a message on my heart that I shared at our 5th anniversary, and I made a determination when we get to that next 
big milestone, a 10th. I want to share it then. And, and now we're getting to our 15th anniversary next week. And there's a truth that I think we need to be reminded of with some frequency. And, and so this message has been reworked. It, it's new for today. But there's a truth here that we need to get a hold of. From one end of the Bible to the other, we find commands to remember. And you see, the Lord knows that we're prone to forgetfulness. And like the songwriter, God knows we're prone to wander. And God, being the greatest teacher there's ever been, understands the role that repetition plays in our learning. And so God has just established the need in our lives from time to time to be reminded of some truths. And the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote this book of 1 Corinthians, he, he shared some truths in the text we're going to study today because he wanted those he served to be reminded of some things. Specifically, he wanted them to be reminded of some things that were present when their church was started. You see, it's our prayer, our intention as a church to move forward with God. But we can never get moving so quickly or so far removed from our beginning that we forget who we are and why we are. And to the best of my ability today, with the help of God the Spirit working in our hearts and lives that know Him, uh, I want to deliver a message that our church family needs to get a hold of. We need this. And I think we can be helped by it. And if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to this text together this morning. I believe the outline before you share second or first Corinthians rather chapter two verses one through fifteen. We're only going to go through verse five this morning, verses one through five. And the Bible says this, and I, brethren, when I came to you, now I'm going to read on, but we need to know some things before we can read much further. When I, brethren, who's the I there? Well, the I is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's writing, and he says uh, he's writing to the brethren. Now, brethren, that's just kind of a general term to refer to people of faith, to Christians. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to some Christians, and these Christians specifically were the ones who made up the church in Corinth. That's why this letter is called the book of Corinthians. And so, Paul is writing to a group of believers in a church, and it's a church that he was used of God to help establish. It's the founding pastor writing to the congregation. He said, when I came to you, he's taking it back to the beginning. He said, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What a great passage of scripture these verses constitute the heart of Paul the church planner to a church that he loved I don't know they were getting ready to celebrate an anniversary but he felt the need to take them back to the beginning and, and go back to verse 1 if you would and near the beginning of that verse Paul said it this way when I came to you he said we need to talk about this when I came to you our father thank you for the opportunity that's ours today to study and learn and grow and Lord, I do pray that there would be a good number in this room this morning who would receive this message 
the way I, I hope it will be received, Lord, that it would be a call to faithfulness, a call to lift you up, Lord. I pray that you, most of all, that you would be honored by all that is said here today. And Jesus, I love you and I need you. And I pray that this service would help all of us to know you more so we may follow you more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we approach our anniversary service next week, I find myself looking back and thinking and, and imagining those earlier days. And we've been pulling out pictures and putting presentations together. And we'll share a lot of that with you next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. And uh, it's always interesting to me what it is our mind chooses to hold on to. And as we look back over these memories, I find that in an inordinate amount, a, a larger percentage of my memory seems to come from those earliest of days. In fact, I remember our very first Sunday. Of course, you all know the story. When Lisa and I came to this area, we didn't know anybody, and so we invested some time just inviting people to come to Coastline Baptist Church. There really was no Coastline Baptist Church at that time, but we were going to start I remember on that first day, there were 34 local people that joined our family for, making 38 local people there in our very first service. And we were glad to see folks there. Uh, that was a great start. We were thankful for that. We had 38. The next week, we had 36. And, and uh, then we had 36 again. And then we had 32. And, and uh, then we had 19. How many of you are sensing a trend here, huh? We're kind of going the wrong direction. But we bottomed out at 19. And, and I think it's been a very ha healthy growth. We've, we've seen God add to the church. And and we're thankful for that. And, and I remember as we followed up on guests from that first Sunday, I, I just remember the first time I went out on visitation, uh, two people who were guests in our first service accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, I remember Carla accepted Christ as her Savior. And then uh, Spencer accepted Christ as his Savior. And I was, I was so thankful to be in this place. And we really didn't know anything, didn't really know exactly what we were doing. But since God had brought us here and and uh, we just passed out flyers, people came, and then we followed up, and they were getting saved, and, and I was so thankful to God for doing that. I knew it wasn't about us or of us, it was about the Lord and, and by Him. Of course, when people get saved, you've got to get baptized, and when we had baptismal services in those early days, it was always an adventure, you know. Uh, many of you know that we did a lot of our baptizing in those early days just in the ocean, We'd finish up a service, and if folks got saved, we'd say, hey, let's go to the beach. Beach party, right? We'd make our way down to the ocean, and, and uh, we'd have a baptism there. I, I remember for a time, if it was uh, cold or what have you, uh, there was a church in Carlsbad near where we were meeting that uh, we would rent them. We'd pay them money to fill their baptistry up so we could baptize our converts there. And, and uh, we had the baptismal services there. And I, I was thankful for First Baptist Carlsbad allowing us to, to rent from them a baptistry so we could baptize uh, new believers. When we got to our first property, we baptized in, in a couple different jacuzzis. We called them baptacuzzis, you know. And uh, uh, we'd get folks in there and they, they could uh, get baptized and, and maybe get a knot worked out of their neck at the same time. I don't know, but uh, we were glad for that. And uh, we, we baptized any, any place we could. Anywhere we could find water, we would uh, take time and we would baptize people there. Here's uh, one special place. We did a few baptismal services, okay. And uh, I actually had nothing to do with that picture. Jonathan put that together and just kind of threw that in there. So that was his idea of humor, I guess. But uh, uh, really, it, it's fun to look back over the years and see God leading people to himself and, and, and believers then responding by following God and it, believers' baptism. I remember the various meeting places in the history of our church. Uh, I, I think of our, our living room. 
And that was a place where we held a lot of those earliest services. And, and uh, there I was, we were just getting started, and we had a handful of people. And, and folks, let me tell you something. People ask me sometimes, what was your strategy for starting Coastline? I wasn't smart enough to have a strategy, okay? I just wanted to walk closely with God, and I wanted to be filled with the power of the Spirit. And, and uh, I just invited everybody I met to come to Coastline. And, and when our house was too big, we'd move on to other places. We met in the, in the community center there, the Harding Community Center in Carlsbad. And, and God bless there. We met in the conference room at the Best Western uh, on uh, Oceanside Boulevard there at the Five. And we were glad to be there. We were very thankful to get our very first property when our church was 76 weeks old. We received an offering that allowed us to put the down payment on that property. And I remember people said, Pastor, why are you getting a building that really is not going to be conducive to a long-term growth? And, and uh, what the Lord did in our time in that property is he allowed the building to double in value. And that gave us what we needed to put as a down payment on this property. It was wonderful what God did for us. And look, nobody in the world is savvy enough to be able to prognosticate as to what a property will do in the course of three years. But God can take a building and, and he can lead it to double in value so that his church can get in another property. And, and so for that, we've just got to say praise God and, and thank him for what he's done. We have been blessed. That's what I'm saying. But before it all started, it started. And, and what I want our church to realize today is there were some truths that led to our founding. Now, I don't want to sound bold or arrogant today, but I want to say this. When the Apostle Paul talks to this group that they started a church together, and as he, as he says to them, let me tell you, when I came to you, I feel like I understand his heart. I feel like I know where he's coming from, what he's trying to do, what he's getting at. And, and as Paul just shares his heart with these people that came together to, to start the church in Corinth, he begins by sharing, first of all, the declaration. The declaration. Now, I want us to listen to how Paul begins in, in this text, all right? He said this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, what I want you to see is this. Paul said, when I came to you, I came declaring the testimony of God. That was the message that Paul came with. He didn't come with enticing words. He didn't come with a show or with gimmicks. He simply came declaring the testimony of God. Now, he doesn't elaborate much in these verses before us as to what his message would have included, exactly what the testimony of God would have been all about. But of course, the Bible in the book of Acts shares for us the story when Paul first went to these people and when the church was started. And in Acts chapter 18, we find a recounting, a historical recounting of this time when the church was started. Listen to what it is the Bible says about this time. Acts 18 verses 1 through 5 says this, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontus, and lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And the Bible tells us they came from Italy because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. In other words, when Paul came to Corinth, he needed to make a living, and so he got a job making tents, and this family made tents. And so they became friends, and, and he stayed with them for a while, the Bible says. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. So there's something going on in, inside of Paul. This is an aggressive statement. He's pressed in the spirit. And the Bible says, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was 
Christ. Now that's amazing because the Bible says he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. The word Christ, Christos, means the promised one, the, the Messiah. Paul's message to these Jews that were listening to him was uniquely directed to Jews. In other words, he was saying, when you're reading the Old Testament, and when you're reading of God the Son, and when you're reading that one day he'll come, Jesus is he. Jesus is God the Son. That was his message. In our vernacular, we would say it this way, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That was the message. In Acts 18 and verse 11, the Bible says this, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And so Paul tells his church family here in 1 Corinthians 2, Hey, when I came to you, I want you to know what I was doing. I was preaching a message, and the message was pretty much this. Jesus is God the Son, and Jesus and Jesus alone can save. And I was teaching you the Bible, the whole counsel of God. I, I spent time with you more than a year and a half here, just going through the Word of God, helping you to learn and grow. That's why he went there. The message was Jesus. It was the message of the death, the burial, and the victorious bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead back to life. And friends, that is the message that we need today, the message of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that we live in a nation that has about 400,000 churches. And I don't want to be needlessly negative today, and I'm not being divisive, that's for sure, but I think by any standard you would evaluate the Scripture, whether you believe it or not, just knowing what it is God has to say about the issues, and then evaluate our land, I think all of us would have to agree that the spiritual quotient in our land, it's just diminishing. Again, whether you agree that there is a God or what what you think of God or what you think of the Bible, you'd have to conclude that God has had some pretty pretty strong positions on things like the family and life and, and, and other things, and on and on I could go. And, and it just seems like at one time there would have been a majority who would espouse the biblical position that we've held as a nation since our founding, and today people are, are coming to different conclusions than that which we've learned from God. Now I think we're living in a day that really mirrors what the prophet Amos experienced in his day. He had an interesting way of putting it. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I'll send a famine in the land. Not, not a famine of bread. Uh, no, no, it's not going to be that way. Nor a thirst for water. But it's going to be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will be spiritually malnourished. They will not have had a, a sufficient amount of the Word of God to help them to become strengthened in him. Paul was saying that when he came to this people, he didn't come with, with the excellent speech. He said he was referring to the savvy Roman politicians who could stand before the people and wow them with their words, who could say a lot of words without really saying anything. The way a politician would do, that's what he's referring to. He said he didn't come to them in wisdom, and he was referring to the wisdom of the Greek sages of the day who were highly respected for their ability to, uh, to just think and analyze Paul said, I want you to know, I came intentionally and I came with the testimony of God. Paul believed in the power of the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want you to know today, I don't necessarily believe in the power and the preacher of the message, but I believe this, if the preacher's preaching a biblically-based message, there's power in the message of Jesus Christ. It changes lives. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, and Paul, again, writing these words to these same people. He said, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish 
foolishness. And how many today would say that I'm foolish for what I'm doing and you're just as foolish for sitting there listening to me, right? That's how most people would think, I'd imagine. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. There is power in the preaching of the Word of God. God's testimony. Listen, friends, it contains the capacity to change, to alter our eternal destiny if we receive it by faith. It can change our lives. I believe in the power of preaching as, as Paul did can't express how thankful I am that there was a group of people in our early days who understood what I'm saying now and appreciated it. You see, like Paul, when we came, there were no buildings. There was no salary awaiting me when I came. There were no people. There were no programs. We didn't have vacation Bible school our first year here like we did last week. But we had the most important thing. In fact, we had the essential thing for a church to have I was able then to begin by saying, would you take your Bibles, please, and join me in turning. No, I'm not against buildings and programs and, and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm not against any of that. But I would say this today, and I want our church to know this. I'm not speaking to another church. I'm speaking to Coastline Baptist Church. You can have all of that stuff, but if somehow in the midst of it, this gets pushed off to the side, you may have church in your, in your name You may have a building that looks like a church building, but from the perspective of God, you cease to be. It's all about the testimony of God. This has to be at the centerpiece. And we made a decision long ago when we were beginning that that the Word of God was going to be in the middle of all that we do. I'm thankful there have been those that, that understood that. I think of the way Peter spoke to pastors. And I want you to think of this. He said to pastors this, Feed the flock. It's not difficult. Very simple statement. Feed the flock. It's God's flock, you know, he said. And they're among you. Feed them. Feed the flock of God. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. What was Peter saying? He was saying, listen, feed the flock. It's God's flock. And he said, moreover, you need to do it for the right motive. He was telling preachers, if you're in this for money, you're in the wrong profession, my friend. This is a calling It's not an occupation or a vocation in the conventional sense. It's a calling from God. And so he said, feed the flock of God, and you need to have the right motive in it all. And furthermore, he told pastors, look, take the oversight. You need to be leaders in this, not by constraint. Don't be weak and timid so that people have to coerce you to do what it is God's already commanded you to do. Get in there and make sure that you're feeding the flock of God. I'm grateful that we are able as a church family to appreciate the role that God's Word plays in our lives. And as Paul began here, that really was the emphasis on his heart. We see his declaration, but as the Bible continues from verse 1 into verse 2, we see his determination. In fact, the Word is right there in the verse, right? Listen to how the verse goes on. I want you to think of this with me. Paul said, I determine not to know anything among you, save or accept, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I love it. I just love the fact that Paul said, you know, when we started, we made it a point not to build our church on anybody's personality other than Jesus Christ. The preeminent figure in the life of Paul, in in the ministry of Paul, was Jesus Christ. Paul had reminded his church earlier as he was writing to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He said, now this I say, 
Did every one of you say it? I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. And then Paul asked him this. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? You see what was happening in that church. People were starting to divide up over personalities and issues, and this one and that one. And, and Paul said, listen, it's not about me or the other teachers, Apollos and Cephas. He said, it's about Jesus Christ. And Paul said, look, have, did I die for you on the cross? No. Jesus did that. Were you baptized in my name? No. Jesus did that. Paul was wanting this church to be reminded that it's all about Jesus. And friends, I want you to know I've tried since our beginning to keep our church a, a church that is not a man-centered church or an issues-oriented church, a church that just has a few pet uh, 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 hobby-type issues that they're riding on all the time. Nor have I wanted our church to be a camp mentality where we just have clicks. We want to be faithful to Christ and His message. That's our prayer. When our church was starting, it became apparent early on we'd need a more permanent place to meet. And, and I spent a day and kind of drove around trying to see if there were some properties available. And I noticed, and it's true in this time, but at that time even more so, uh, many churches were, were placed in like industrial settings. They'd go in like to a warehouse type thing. And, and uh, I thought, well, maybe that, that would be for us. And, and uh, as I was driving around, I found one of these churches and, and uh, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go knock on the door and maybe, maybe someone's in there and they can tell me how it worked for them and so forth. And I, I knocked on the door and a man answered on the other side and, and his name was Pastor McDonald, a kind man, a gracious man. He didn't know me at all, but he gave me a lot of time that day and he even prayed with me before we left. And, and uh, I just introduced myself and told him what we were doing and this may be an option for us in the future and what could you share with me? And we talked a little bit and, and he said to me, he said, Steve, uh, who told you to come to this area? I said, well, I believe the Lord did. He said, well, no, I know that. I know that. But, but who told you to come here? I said, well, I think the Lord did. You know, I believe the Lord did. And uh, he said, no, I understand that. But like, like what denominational leader told you to come to this area? And I said, well, there really wasn't one. He said, well, I thought, I thought you uh, are of the Baptist denomination. And I said, no, we're not a part of a denomination. We're a non-denominational church. I said, there are those who have made denominations and the word Baptist is in it and more power to them. I, I'm, I'm grateful for all the good that comes from any. I said, we're just Baptist in the sense that that word historically has stood for a certain body of doctrine since the time of Christ, we believe. And, and so we're just Baptist in the sense that we believe the Bible's sole authority in all matters of faith and practice. We believe in the autonomy of the local church and priesthood of the believer and two church offices and individual soul liberty and separation both personally and ecclesiastically or separation within churches and uh, two church ordinances the Lord's Supper and baptism. Baptists have believed that. That's New Testament theology. And, and so I said, we're not, we're not a denominational church. We're an autonomous, autonomy, self-governing church. He said, well, who's your president? I said, well, Jesus Christ, I guess, you know. He said, where are your headquarters? And honestly, at this point, we're both laughing because here's two guys. We both love the Lord, you know, and, and we just have a totally different paradigm for life. And I'm not saying my way's better than his or his way's better than the way I was doing it. Uh, just two guys going about it. And, and uh, he was more accustomed to a system where there's a lot of bureaucracy or I don't, I don't know a better way to say it, just a lot of layers, you know. And, and, uh, and really, I was in a church and I shared with my pastor, I think the Lord would, would have me to start a church. I said, I just can't get away from this. I've been praying on it. And, and he said, well, if God's put it on your heart, go do it. 
So I went and did it. That's just kind of how that happened, you know. And, and uh, they had kind of a different way. You got an assignment and so forth. But listen, I, 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 I share that story with you because I want you to understand our concern, our desire has never been to conform to what other churches are doing in that sense. I just want you to know that I have a deep enough conviction in, in, the, in the pattern we find in Scripture that I don't find the need to take church money to go to a conference where I find out how the hipster crowd's doing it and adapt all the, all the ways that, that the new folks are getting it done. And I'm good for them if God's using it. What I'm saying is this. We've just simply wanted to go to the Bible and say, God, this church is yours. What do you want it to look like? What do you want us to do when we gather together? We want to make sure that we're seeking to honor the Lord in it all. We are not making it a habit of surveying our community and asking people that either aren't in church or don't even know Jesus as their Savior. So tell me, what do you want in a church? What kind of music do you like? What do you like the lighting to be in the auditorium? What do you think about this or that? Listen, we're not going to survey people that aren't in church or don't know Jesus and ask them what the church of Jesus Christ is to look like and sound like. We want to get in the Bible. You see, there is an audience today at Coastline and it's not you. It's him. This is his church. And I understand this philosophy is a little bit unique, and I don't mean that in a condemning way. I, I'm trying to be gracious. I'm directing these remarks to our church. Uh, this philosophy may be unique. Friends, listen. Uh, we do what we do for God and God alone. We are not seeking to impress others or to make it as, as appealing as it can be in, in any way that would lead us to deviate from what we to believe uh, believed to be a, a, a correct way from the word of God we just want to please God I like how Paul said it in Ephesians he was very clear here he said we're not to do what we do with eye service you know like men pleasers we're not trying to please men we're trying to please God and in the process if people like it great and we don't ever want to be crabby about it but God's our goal he's the one we're aiming for the Bible says but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart from the heart you know in every church there's pressure to conform to an image. Let me tell you about our church, Coastline Baptist Church. It's not perfect. And there's always this tension existing to conform to a pressure or an ideology. And, and uh, we all have personalities, and sometimes they're strong personalities. And I remember when our church was starting on, on one Saturday, literally back to back, I hung up my phone and it rang instantly. One guy called to say, uh, your music's too rowdy. And then the next call said, it's so slow, you're never going to build a church. And I thought to myself, thank God that we're not, we're not, leaving all these things up to whatever the loudest person in the church has to think about it, you know what I mean? And uh, so there's always these pressures in every church. Every church experiences this. The Bible is talking about this in, in 3 John. And we read, it, we read about a man who wanted the church to look like him. All right? L listen to this verse uh, that we read in 3 John. He says, I wrote unto the church. All right? So he's writing to the church. But Diotrephes, now Diotrephes, that's a man's name. He says, I was writing to the church, but there's this guy. His name's Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence. Now, preeminence doesn't even just mean number one. That would be bad enough. Preeminence means one and only. So he says, you know, I was trying to deal with this church, but there's this guy in the church. His name's Diotrephes. And man, he's just the one and only. Uh, he, he, he loveth to have the preeminence among them. He receiveth us not diotrephes was the kind of man that said i want the power i want the attention it's all about me and friends i'm saying today that when we think of someone like diotrephes he's the exact opposite of the spirit we're striving for at coastline baptist church we want it to be a heart of humility it says you know what it's all about you jesus 
you see he's the only one deserving of preeminence. Listen to how Paul put it in his letter to the believers in Colossae. In Colossians 1.18, he said that Jesus is the head of the body, and the body is the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus Christ, might have the preeminence. This is our goal. Now, friends, we're not perfect in anything, but I want you to know that our desire is to make much of Jesus Christ. When we're doing it right at Coastline, we're doing just exactly what I'm talking about. All of personality is put to the side, not wiped out. We all have one. But Jesus is the central figure around whom we gather, not another. Jesus. Jesus told us in John 12 that if he be lifted up from the earth, he draw men unto him. Now, as we continue looking in the final couple verses in our text, Paul shares the last thought we'll study this morning. We see the demonstration. The demonstration. Now, these final words are so key for me, and really they're liberating in many ways. I want us to think of these last couple verses together. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in not even just trembling, a lot of trembling, much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I just love the fact that this man who most considered to be the greatest missionary in the history of the church, the Apostle Paul, he felt comfortable taking these people back in their mind's eye to when the church was started and said, let me tell you about me when our church started. I was as weak as they come, and I was scared to death, and I didn't just tremble a little bit, I trembled a lot. I'm, I'm grateful that he was comfortable enough to let these people know that he loved them, and he loved the Lord, but honest enough to say this, by admitting that, he was saying this, if any good thing has come of this, it couldn't have come from me. It had to have come from God. Paul said, I know me, and I'm weak, and I'm afraid, and I shake a lot. And so he was giving God the glory here, the demonstration. And that word is even at work in the midst of this text in the end of verse 4. The demonstration was this. This power comes from God. Years ago, I chose a life verse. And it's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And it's a verse that has meant a lot to me. It, It says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. Not I. Not me but Christ. And it goes on to say, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me. And He gave Himself for me. That verse for me is a daily reminder that if any good's going to come from my life, what I must do on a daily, even a moment-by-moment basis, what I must do is die to self. Die to selfish ambition, die to selfish desires, and just say, Lord, listen, if any good's going to come from my life, it's going to have to be from you. Because I, I don't have a capacity that is strong enough to make any measurable difference in this world. It's going to have to be you, Lord, living in me and then living through me. And I want our church to be reminded of this. There's just no room in our church for confidence in our own flesh or in anybody else's flesh. It just, it just never works out well. You see, our faith must be in God. I, li- listen to how Jesus put this. He's, he's very clear on this as well. This is how Jesus said it. Have faith in God. 
Now, he didn't take the time to tell us all the things not to have faith in. Don't have faith in yourself. Don't put an inordinate faith or confidence in a pastor or a teacher or this radio Christian personality or the other. Uh, a, a measure, a degree of, of thankfulness for what they may bring to your life. But when, when it comes to faith, that abiding confidence, there's only one place it should be anchored in, and that's in God. Have faith in God. In God. Paul's ministry and that of this church were successful. Why? Because he declared the testimony of Jesus. Because he determined to keep Jesus in the middle of it all. And he demonstrated the power of Jesus Christ in his life. I want you to know this, friends. That church was a success when they followed that model. They were a success at that time when they followed that model. Not because of the size they became. Not because of the buildings they had. Not because of their notoriety among other churches. They were a success in the eyes of God because of what they did with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our goal at Coastline Baptist Church is not growth. Our goal is God. And I believe as we come to know Jesus and grow in our likeness to Him, the inevitable byproduct is we'll be attractive to those that don't yet know Christ in the sense they'll notice there's something different. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get saved and and we can see that natural intrinsic growth that only God can bring through a body, and that's the analogy he uses of the church, a body that's naturally growing. It's all about Jesus. That's the point. Now, if you've heard me say today through these points that we always get this right, you've mistaken my intent. Because we don't always get this right. That's why I have to preach a message like this at least every five years and, of course, mention this many times in between. Because I've got to tell you something about me. I don't always get it right. I want to. I, I, I don't. In our church family, we, we, don't, we don't bat a thousand on this. But I want it to be known this is our desire. This is our prayer. This is our plea before the Lord. This is our aim. And there's really no better time to take an inventory or an assessment like the milestone you find in, in an anniversary. I suppose we could talk today about, well, how's our church doing? We could evaluate our church. And it's fun to evaluate things like that, you know. To evaluate the church. And in our mind, that's other people. We're evaluating them, you know. But I'll remind you today, if, I mean, if this is your church home, if you're our guest today, this maybe wouldn't apply 100%. But if you're here today and this is your church, you are the church. And as we're just a week away now from celebrating an anniversary, I, I think it'd be a great time for each of us to take a personal inventory and, and say, really, how am I doing? How Christ-centered is my life? Am I lifting up Jesus? Am I sharing Jesus with others? Is my life characterized by Christ-likeness and is the power at work in my life, not a power I've generated, but but really a, a work of God in my heart. Is He helping me to love in a way that just wouldn't be there were it not for Him? How am I doing in relationship to my life with Christ and for Christ? And I think today would be a great day to go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Paul said, when I came to you. Uh, maybe you can go back to the beginning when, whenever your experience started with Coastline. More importantly, maybe... You can go back, if you're a Christian, to that day when you heard the gospel message and understood what it meant and you accepted Jesus as your Savior. 
Maybe you're here today and you're going way, 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 way back in your mind's eye to that day where you once and for all settled the matter of where you'd spend eternity and, and as far back as you go, you can't find that time because you're not sure. Well, guess what? The great news for you is it, it's all about Jesus for you too. And He took care of that need in your life. It's all about Him. Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing this morning?